Well, it's me again. I feel like I'm up here alive right now. Um, but as always, it's a joy to be able to open up the Bible with you. Now, if you do have a Bible or an app or a scripture journal, whatever you got, um, open it up to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, we are going to be in verses 9 through 11 this morning. 9 through 11. Now, before I read for us our text of scripture, <clears throat> I want to uh, tell you one of the most encouraging things that has happened to me in, in my Christian life, and it's still happening to this day. Uh, one of the most encouraging things that I, I just find myself being encountered with a lot, because most of you know, I, I grew up here, right? I grew up here in the Carson Valley. I grew up right around the corner, corner from Sharky's Casino um, in the house that my mom still lives in to this day, and I loved, I loved growing up here. I absolutely did, absolutely did, and I've always wanted to come back, truthfully. I've always wanted to be here. But I did not grow up as a Christian. I did not grow up as a Christian. Now, my mom, who has been a Christian for a long time, did the best job that she could to get me and my brothers and my sister to church as often as she could. Um, but there, it, was, it, was, it was hard uh, for a lot of different reasons. But growing up here then, I was not known for my faith in Christ. Right? That was not a distinguishing feature about me. That was not something that people knew about me because that didn't exist, right? For those who did know me outside of my family and in the community, I was known for more of my, you know, athletic achievements or my academic achievements, which some of you are like, really? <laughs> I would never have thought that. Why are you laughing? Um, I know. But it was not my faith that I was known for. It was not my faith that I was known for. Now, to speed things up a little bit, at the age of 19, uh, while up in Reno, attending the University of Nevada, Reno, um, I was basically confronted with the gospel. I, I, was, I was just impacted. I probably had heard the gospel many times, but for whatever reason, God's good and gracious timing, uh, there was just one particular moment when I was 19 that all of a sudden, who Jesus is and what he has done was just all of a sudden and clear. They could finally understand who he was and what he has done for me. And I was saved by him. And at the core of my, my salvation, and, and you need to know this, like, it wasn't because my life was falling apart. It wasn't because I was hitting rock bottom, so to speak. I was actually doing very well. I was doing very well. But what happened is when God revealed the gospel to me, when he revealed to who he is to me, he also revealed something about myself that I had never understood before. That I was not, even though I wasn't, you know, on the nightly news, I wasn't this bad person in which, you know, you can sometimes think of yourself as. But all of a sudden I began to understand my own heart. I understood that there was jealousy in my heart. There was pride in my heart. There was, there was this this unpureness about me, about, about what I was worshiping, what I was getting my identity from that was altogether not from Christ. And it was all about me. And I just remember just being broken by that reality. And I would say that's when, that's when Jesus not only revealed to myself who I am, but it, the gospel became good news, right? What Jesus did on the cross when he went and died on that Roman cross, it was not for his sins, but it was for my sins. Because I had screwed up. I had rebelled. And I knew that. I knew that. So I became a Christian. 
I surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus. After, you know, a little bit later on, I, I had this, this, feel like this call to ministry, both internally but also externally for those that I was trying to follow Jesus alongside with. And I didn't know what that looked like, but I knew that I wanted to share the good news. I knew I wanted to be able to preach the gospel. I knew that I wanted to be able to reach people like me who thought they were just kind of this good old boy. But the God of all creation was saying, no, 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 you need me. You need me more than you need anything else. And so really, the first and only place in my life I've ever felt called to go and preach the gospel has been here. And, I, and so I desperately wanted to do that. So I started praying. Okay, how does that look like? Jean and I, were, we're newly married. We're trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this? And so I began to pursue getting experience in ministry, experience in preaching. I started pursuing and getting different theological degrees just so I could better understand the word. And so when I do step into a pulpit like this, I'd be able to rightly share of who God is and what he's done. And all of that has been just a, a huge aspect of my life. But here's what's encouraging. This is what I'm trying to get at. What's been encouraging now, now that I'm back down here, is when I run into someone that I grew up with in high school, or maybe I was friends with their son or their daughter, and, and I run into them and they ask, hey, what are you up to? What are you doing? And I tell them, well, I'm a pastor now. And, and it's awesome because you never know what kind of look you're going to get in that moment. You never know. It's, it's different every single time. But you know what? There's some. There's some looks, though. When I say, I'm a, I'm a, by God's grace, I'm a pastor, all of a sudden, they start to get teary-eyed. And they go, Luke, I don't know if you know this or not, but I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you since you were a little boy. I've been praying that there would be a day when you knew Christ. And I had no idea. I had no idea. And I just, I just remember being floored in those moments also going, wow, God, you have been working in my life in ways I never would have suspected. And you've been using the prayers of your people to accomplish your purposes. And so... For those of you who have maybe had those answered prayers in your life, you know how impactful it is to see that, to see that. And so here's what I want to point, point out to you. When people share that they've been praying for me, they've been praying for that I'd be no God, I would know Christ, I'd believe the gospel. What, was, what stood out to me is that they weren't just praying about me like in a like a, they just wanted me to be healthy wanted me to be wealthy wanted me to you know just have all the things that which maybe the american dream can sum up it wasn't just about my circumstances but what they were praying for was for my walk with christ and that was what impacted me is that they were praying that i would know jesus and follow him they were prayers not just about me but they were prayers for me. And so as we begin to walk through this passage of Philippians, what you're going to see is Paul revealing what he has been praying about for this church of Philippi. That he has not just been praying about them, but he even shares what he's been praying for them. Because just like me, it can have a huge impact on your life when you know specifically what people are praying for you about. And something that we're going to see what Paul was praying for this church in Philippi 
and by God's grace, what we can continue to pray for each other. So if you guys, hopefully you've already there, let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Let me go ahead and read this. Actually, you know what? I always do this. I don't know why I would stop now. Let's pray before I read. Please pray for me as I pray for you, and then we'll get into the word. Well, Father, I, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that we have this opportunity to open up your word, to understand who you are, and also to be remember and be reminded about how the prayers of your people go far beyond anything that we could ever imagine. Because you're the God behind their prayers. You're the one who's receiving your prayers. You're the one who is doing everything according to your will. So God, I pray for us this morning that we'd be able to rightly understand this passage of scripture, understand how it points us to Christ, how it reminds us of the hope we have in him, like every single passage of the Bible. God, I also pray for our kids, for our teachers, as they just instruct and remind them of the same promises that we're going to look at this morning. God, and allow those little minds also, those little hearts, those little souls, uh, just to be able to be tuned to, to know and preach and love and, and be able to preach about you. So, God, help us in that. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, now let's read Philippians 9 through 11. Paul says this, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Church, that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Yeah, we're thankful for God's word. That's why we say that. All right, so here's what I want you to see this morning. Right, if you're a note taker, here's the, the three areas I'm going to focus in on. The, the three aspects of Paul's prayer here is he prays for our love, he prays for our priorities, and he prays for our praise. Our love, our priorities, our praise. Three aspects of what drives every single one of us. Every single one of us. So let's look at this together. Verse 9. Paul says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Now, we know this from just walking through the first couple of verses of chapter 1, that Paul has already told us that he's been praying for the church in Philippi, right? right back in verse 4, he's, he's even told us that, hey, every time I pray for you, church, I have this joy inside of my heart. I have this joy inside of me. So he's been praying for them. He's been praying for them a lot. And now he's just cluing them in. I'm like, this is what I'm praying for you. Now, if you just pay attention to what, how what Paul phrases this, though, is he says, I pray that your love may abound more and more, more and more. So what's interesting, though, about this love abounding more and more is Paul actually doesn't tell us what, what kind of love is supposed to abound more and more. He doesn't say, is it our love for God? Is it our love for one another? Is it our love for our community or the world? What's supposed to abound more and more, Paul? He actually doesn't say. Now, why is that? Well, I think if, you know, somebody were to ask him, well, Paul, is it, is it love for God? Is it love for one another? He would say, yes. Yes. You know, Jesus did the same thing 
when somebody came and asked him, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment, right? What is the best thing for us to do? Do you remember what his response was back when we studied the Gospel of Mark? Mark 12, 29. It should be up on the screen. Jesus answered, the important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So I think both Paul and Jesus here are communicating the same reality, that to love God and to love one another is the same idea. It's just a a different side of the same coin of what it means to follow, what it means to walk with God, what it means to walk with Christ is to have this desire for your love to abound in every single direction that you've been called to love. But here's where we need to take a a moment and, and chat about the English language. Because when we think of the word love, right, we, we rightly, it's a little bit convoluted in, in our English language, isn't it, right? We say that, you know, we love our spouses, but we also love pizza or cereal, right? And so it's the same word, but we're trying to communicate very different realities, right? And so sometimes when we read in, in our English Bibles, love, we got to remember, okay, what are we talking about? What kind of love are we talking about? And this is where the Greek language is actually really helpful, because they have different words for what kind of different love they're talking about. Now, if, you're, if you've been around Bible study for a while, you've probably heard this. But in case you haven't, this Greek word that Paul is using is the Greek word agape. Agape. Now, agape love is sacrificial love. It's devotional love. It's not a feeling, right? So you would not, you would not ever say that I have fallen out of agape love for somebody or something. You can't fall out of it a devotion to somebody. So we're not talking about a feeling. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about that I'm praying that your devotion, your devotion would grow or abound more and more. Paul uses the same word agape love to describe Jesus in Romans 5.8 when he says, but God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Church, that was not a feeling. That was not a feeling that Jesus had. God did not show his love by giving us a feeling, but he showed his love for us by dying for us, by devoting himself to us. So biblical love, and this is a really important aspect of your walk with Christ, biblical love is a devotion, not an emotion. So Paul is pleading then with the church, I want you to grow in love. I want you to grow in this agape love. And he knows And by the way, Paul's already talked about this, his love for this church. He knows that love already exists in this church. He's not saying like, man, you guys, you've lost your first love. He's not saying that like that would happen to other churches. But what he's saying is, I want that love that you have to abound more and more. Because here's the truth, church, is we should always, no matter how much great love we have in this building, the great love that we have for each other, we should never be satisfied with it. We should always want to grow in that, always want to abound in that. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here, that I want it to abound more and more. But then look at the rest of verse 9. More and more with what? How is this devotion going to abound? What are going to be some of the, the, the fruit that we see alongside of it? 
He says at the end of verse 9, with knowledge and discernment. So what the Word of God is teaching us here is that biblical love then will always be accompanied by knowledge and discernment. Knowledge and discernment. Now, what does Paul mean by that? What does Paul mean by this knowledge and discernment? That word knowledge, here's another helpful Greek term, it's epignosis, right? It's, it's not the traditional word for just information, right? So Paul is not saying, I want you to grow in your love with just some really good information about things, right? A bunch of head knowledge, but rather, that word knowledge, almost every time it is used in the New Testament, it is speaking directly to a knowledge of God and intimacy with God. Not just a head knowledge about God, but a heart and head and hands knowledge of God. That what you know about God and you've been walking with him like a person that you're in a relationship with, that you actually are growing in knowing one another. This is why, church... Theology matters. This is why it matters a whole lot. That we try not just to grow in head knowledge, but we try to grow in, in our knowledge of who God is and what he's done for us and what that means for our walk with him. That our knowledge, what we're learning about God and his word, right? What we're learning about as we study this book and we learn about who God is and what he's like and how he's powerful but good, righteous and just, but also graceful and merciful, that's going to affect your relationship with him. That's why theology matters so much. That's why, you know, I'm passionate about these discipleship groups. Is, is I know if we have a concentrated time where we are just pouring into reading the Bible, right, getting into the words of Scripture, because we have that ability, right, which didn't, not all Christians have had that ability in all places, all times, in all, in all history. But we do. To know God, know what he's like, it's going to abound our love for one another and for him. Because you can't love the God you don't know, church. You cannot worship a God you don't know. You can't follow Christ if you don't know where he's going. That's why knowledge and knowledge of God is so important. But as I mentioned, it's not that dry intellectualism. It's a knowledge of God that's intimate. A knowledge of God like, like the knowledge that you want to grow with maybe with your spouse or with your family or with your kids. It's not just a dry intellectualism like what are things that he likes to eat and doesn't like to eat. You want to know more than that. You want to know what, what, what makes their heart beat. And I can assure you that when we grow in that knowledge of God, church, when we do grow in that knowledge of God, man, there's going to be this abounding love that happens not only for him, but also for each other. But it also will affect our discernment. Paul says it's going to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Discernment. Now, discernment, right, that's being able to make those practical decisions. Those practical decisions in your life. Because we know this about the Bible, or maybe you don't. Does the Bible tell you everything that you want to know in this life? Does it tell you every, about every decision that you're going to have to make in this life? Is it laid out in here? No, it's not. It's not. Right? It doesn't tell you who you should marry. It doesn't tell you where you should live, what kind of job you should have, where you should retire, if you should retire. It doesn't, it doesn't say specifically, hey, Luke, Worko, right? Here in Minden, Nevada, this is where I want you to live. It doesn't say that. 
It does not say that. So what do we do with that then? What do we do if the Bible doesn't speak to all those particularities in our life? Well, when you grow in knowledge of God, you grow in this discernment of being able then to make decisions based upon and in accordance with your knowledge of God. And this is where Paul goes. Look at verse 10. It says, so that you may approve what is excellent. So that you may approve what is excellent. Right? So that you would be able to have the foundation built upon you to be able to make those decisions that you will have to make in your life in accordance with your love and knowledge of God. And that's point number two, our priorities. So Paul is praying for our priorities. So let's think about this. Let's think about this. If we're growing in our knowledge of God, right, if we are pursuing him, if we're growing in our knowledge and love towards one another, will that affect our relationships? Will that affect who we should marry? Yeah. It won't say, like, marry this person and not this person, but certainly you will see a pattern where God deeply desires for your spouse to be one that loves Jesus. And if, and if, you're, a, if you're a woman, you want a, a husband that wants to love you like Christ loves the church. Right? You see that in the Word. It doesn't tell you exactly who you should marry, but it kind of gives you the framework which you're going to build that around. Like, does he, does he love Christ? See, if he doesn't love Christ, then he's never going to love me like Christ. He's not going to understand what Christ's love for me is like. Or think of our jobs, right? Should I take this job? Should I move to this place? Now, you will not find that in, in the Word of God, exactly what you are to do. But you will see God constantly encouraging you, hey, make sure your worship of me is a priority. Don't allow the things of this world to choke out your love for me. So maybe you don't take that job if it means that you cannot worship with God's people anymore. Or maybe you do move to a spot that it's, it's maybe more affordable so you can actually give your resources to, to things besides your mortgage. Right? All these decisions that we do have to make in life, church, and you guys know this, right? Many of you guys have been making decisions about your life a lot longer than I've been alive. You know that there's this discernment that you desire when you're making those big decisions in life. And I want to encourage you. This is what Paul's trying to encourage the church, is that when you are growing in your knowledge and you are growing in your discernment, you will have this ability to choose what is excellent, to do what's in accordance with what is excellent. And that word excellent there, it's, it's trying to communicate this reality like there's sometimes good decisions that you can make, but it's not the best decision you can make. There's good jobs that you can have, but it's not the best job you can have. And so we pray then, we join Paul in praying for these things that we may approve then what is excellent as we're growing with one another. You know, this reminds me <clears throat> of a quote by William Carey. And William Carey is a, he was a, a famous uh, missionary over to India um, a while back ago. And he says this just about how to, to make good decisions, right? To have, choose what is excellent in life. And this is what he says. It's on the screen. He says, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Now, that's heavy. Right? That's really heavy. How do we do that? Right? How do we not just be 
in prison to then like, oh, oh is this not going to matter? That's what Paul was praying for, that we would be able to choose what's in accordance, what is excellent. So to be able to take what is best over what is just simply good. And so let the words of the Bible church just maybe encourage you that this is, this is not just a book for Sunday morning, but it's a book for all of life. God doesn't just care about what you do for a couple hours on Sunday. He cares about how you live all of your life, all of your life. And that's where even Paul goes with this. If, you, if we keep reading, he says, <clears throat> to approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. For the day of Christ. So he, he even goes beyond just these daily decisions. like, no, what I want for you, church, is to live in light of the last day. The day of Christ, the day when Jesus returns to earth, the day when he consummates the kingdom, when he inaugurated at his first coming. I want you to live in light of that day, church. So how do we do that then, right? How do we make these decisions? How do we have this discerning? How do we choose what is excellent? Now, I think you will sometimes hear maybe pastors or other Christians Sometimes when they're talking about this topic, they'll say, well, if you want to know about this, if you want God to speak to this, then you just need to ask him for a word, right? Ask him to give you a word from God, a word of the Lord for your situation. And here's, I want to speak to this really quickly, because I think that you could easily fall into a ditch on a, just basically a, a heretical ditch on one side. Because I do believe that God does speak today. He absolutely does speak today. Because he, he's, he's the same God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God spoke everything into existence, right? Does God still speak today? Absolutely. Now, before you guys who have maybe um, an aversion to any kind of charismania, hear me out. This is what I'm saying. This is, this is what I want to make clear on this. I'm not saying that when you say, I want to hear from the word of the Lord, that you're saying that, this, you can throw this out. Or that when you want to know how to make a life decision and you want to hear from God, that it's some kind of extra, you know, hyper-spiritual experience that is not rooted in God's word at all. It's not what I'm saying. But I do think that God does speak to us today. You know the best way that he speaks to us? is through the words that he's already written to us. And so we can grow in our knowledge of God. And we can come and say, Lord, I got this going on. You know, because he knows about it, right? He knows about these decisions that you have. And he said, Lord, can you, can you help me make a decision that's wise, discerning, that's glorifying to you? And you know, one of the ways that you know that you're making a decision that's in line with that reality is if you know who God is like. Because God's never going to give you a word. God's never going to give you discernment that goes against what the Bible says. That's never going to happen. And you never, here, by the way, you never have to pray that God would reveal something about him that's new. Like, for example, say, hey, God, are, are you, I want to hear from you, I want a word from you, but are you really loving? Can you tell me if you're loving or not? Or could you tell me, if, have you changed your mind about marriage? Have you changed your mind about what my worship should be directed towards? You see, God has already given us that. Clearly, he's spoken to that. And when we understand what God has clearly spoken to, 
then you're able to then use discernment and use in accordance what is excellent and be pure and blameless in light of the last day. Now, that, that word's uh, pure and blameless. I want to unpack those because those are important for this discussion. That word pure, that's not meaning like that you should desire to be sinless. Even though that's the truth, that's not what Paul's talking about. Or saying that somehow, if you are sinless, then God's going to be more happy with you, that, that he's going to love you more, and everything's going to go well in your life. That's not what he's talking about. But to be pure in what Paul is talking about, he's using the language to be pure as in pure in heart. It's the same term that, that people use to describe metals. Say, hey, is this gold pure? Meaning, it, or does it have other things going on inside of it? So what Paul is saying is he wants you to be pure, pure in heart. He doesn't want you to be maybe syncretist in your worship, meaning that, okay, yeah, I trust Jesus here in this part of my life. He rules over this part of my heart, but not over here. Just there's a little bit of Jesus over here, maybe a little pop psychology, maybe a little bit of whatever I feel in that moment. What Paul is saying is I'm praying that you would be pure, that all of your life would be have Jesus on the throne, that your heart would be without other aspects of worship or other things competing for your worship. And that's why he goes on to even say blameless. That word blameless means to basically not falter or to not stumble, whether you are stumbling or that you're having a role in maybe having other people stumble because of you. What Paul is saying is, I want you to be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ because he's trying to get at this reality of, I want you, church, I want you, church, to have Christ so much on the throne of your heart, right? That, that all of your life be so directed towards him, so focused in on him, be so full of him and what he says about himself, what he says about you, that the world would not have any room to even take residence in. So Paul is getting at. So he's pointing to who is king of your life. Where is your heart at? Paul is praying that it would be pure and be blameless for the day of Christ because one day Christ is coming back. It's not to, hey, I better get my act together. But it's a, Lord, I don't know when you're coming back, so I want to live every day that I have in light of you in light of you because the more you let Christ rule the more your eyes are fixed on him and the more your eyes are fixed on him you know where you're not going to look you're not going to look away you're not going to stumble in the race that has been set before you and so Paul is just praying for this he's praying for this and this leads to my last point point number three in verse 11 Paul says filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul's praying for your life, Christian, that when, when you are striving to love God, grow in your knowledge of God, grow in this purity, this blameless with him, that as you look at your life, it will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Because all the things that we've been talking about, right? All the things which Paul's desiring for this church to have in Philippi, and I think by us, by extension today, all the things in which he wants, he's saying it's going to come with the fruit of righteousness through Jesus Christ. Because it's a fruit that comes from the labor of another. Let's think about it this way. 
Because some of you guys have great gardens, right? And I know from just talking to you, some of you guys take a lot of time and effort into your, your gardens at home, right? You've been working hard, some of you for years, right? Creating this, this soil and these different, um, you know, fruits or vegetables. And if, and, and if I were to walk into your garden, right, and see this, this beautiful, uh, I don't know what the term is, you know, green stuff all over the place. I'm not a gardener. And if I were to go into your garden and say I pick up a zucchini, right, pick up a zucchini, you know what I should not do is pick up that zucchini and start telling it how great it is. Like, oh my gosh, you are so good. You did so well here. Look at what all of you have done. No, I would not do that. And I wouldn't do that because I'd probably be standing with the one that did all the labor for that fruit to be visible. And that's what Paul's getting at, is that when you're looking around your life and you're seeing this, this fruit of righteousness, right? You're seeing the effects of walking with Christ. You would give honor to where honor is due. And to Paul, he says, that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. And here is, and you've noticed, this is just true about any passage of the Bible that you, you look at, but especially these, these letters that Paul writes in the New Testament. Paul doesn't write to something that the church is not struggling with. Everything that he writes is penned because it's needed to be said to that church. And it's in scripture because it needs to be said to every human heart. And so when Paul is saying, hey, I want you to remember these things. I want you to know I'm praying that there would be fruit in your life, the fruit of righteousness, which another way is that, that's the fruit of the Spirit. It's another way to say that. The fruit of righteousness, that you would give glory and praise to who, church? To God, to Christ. All of it belongs to him. Because even in small churches like our own, it's easy for us to start thinking that it's totally up to us. Right? All the things which we want to see happen in this church or see this happen in our community. Because if I just do the right things, right? if I just grow in my knowledge of God, if I just grow in my discernment, if I just try to choose what is excellent, then I'll be successful. And all those things are something we should strive for. But who do they come through? Through our God. And so our praise, whenever those things do happen, they're directed towards Him. His glory. So just to sum up, Paul prayed for our love. He prayed for our priorities. And he prayed for our praise to be rightly directed. And so here's what I want to do, church. Right? If, 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 if you want a takeaway or an application. The application is, let's pray like Paul. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for this, these realities to be true. Not only in other people, but in ourselves. And going back to my own story, we can even pray for people who are not a part of this church right now, right? We can start praying that they would have this be true of them, that their love for God would grow and abound or maybe just simply begin. So who's that person? Who's that person in your life that you're praying for? Who's that person that you're going to commit to praying for regardless if you ever see the fruit of that? See, Paul he never made it back to see this church. He never got to see, did all of this come true? But he prayed it anyways. 
Because he didn't want to just pray about people, but he wanted to pray for people. And that's what I want. That's what I'm praying for. And that's why, you know, if you're not sure where you're at this morning with Christ, if you're not sure if you're even a Christian, one, you're welcome here. I hope you guys know that. But two, what we want you to start with is with Christ. Start with the love for him. It's not about a list of things that you need to go now do. It's about him. And when we focus in on him, just like that gal that was praying for me, she knew that if, if she was praying for my walk with Christ, if she was praying that I would, that I would be saved, that I would be encouraged, that I'd be built up in him, all, everything else that life was going to throw at me, I could walk through because I'd have a shepherd. That's what we want, church. That's what we desire. That's what we desire for you, is for you to love Christ, abound in his love. All right, church, let's go ahead and, and end the sermon. <clears throat> Let me pray for us, and then we'll respond with the song and then another uh, piece of scripture. But let's go ahead and just pray together now. Well, Father, I do want to just thank you. I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for Paul and for his prayers and his love and his intimacy with you. Because everything in which Paul prayed about, Lord, is stuff that I want. I want for myself, I want for my own heart, I want for every heart that's in this room. And God, I don't know where everybody's at, but you do. So God, I pray that you would abound their love all the more. I pray that you would abound